This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, here we go. Stand by. Three, two, one. The thinking atheist. It's not a person. It's a symbol. An idea. The population of atheists in this country is going through the roof. Rejecting faith. Pursuing knowledge. Challenging the sacred. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth, not because I put my hand on a book and made a wish. And working together for a more rational world. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Assume nothing. Question everything. And start thinking. This is the Thinking Atheist Podcast. Hosted by Seth Andrews. I know this is kind of a heavy one to drop on you here in the final days of 2022 with the holidays happening, everybody's keeping it light and fun and festive, but I just feel like we can't put off a conversation about the uprising, the revolution that's going on in Iran any longer. This is critical stuff. I'm going to be speaking with Miriam Namazi. She is a writer and activist. She's a representative for One Law for All and also the Council for Ex-Muslims of Britain. Her website, miriamnamazi.com. That's linked in the description box. And also linked is the video version of this conversation. Now, at the very beginning of that video, I felt the need to include a title card, a graphic that says this, and I'll just read it. This interview with human rights activist Miriam Namazi includes descriptions and footage of violence. These necessary revelations of human rights abuses are critical to the understanding of the events, the victims, the uprising, the stakes, and the possibilities. And I included the hashtag Iran Revolution. Now, here in the podcast version, you will hear some of the audio from that video. It is sobering, disturbing stuff, and it should be. And my hope is it will motivate us to understand the stakes and to be a part of the solution. Again, the YouTube link for the video version of this conversation is in the description box. As somebody who lives here in the United States, in Bible Belt, Red State, Oklahoma, Iran sometimes seems like another planet. And especially when we see the headlines, you know, going, it's, we become disconnected. And I get frustrated with 
my fellow countrymen and women, and sometimes with myself about that disconnect, especially seeing the rampant human rights atrocities that are going on and have been going on that seem to really be boiling over. I wanted to talk about Iran with someone who knows what they're talking about. So, of course, I called my dear friend Miriam Namazi, and I begged her, please join me for a conversation. It's so good to see you, Miriam. Oh, it's lovely to be here, Seth. Thank you so much for having me. As always, it's a big pleasure. And especially because I think this is such an important issue. And uh, I do think it should be closer to people's hearts because there's just such a lot of humanity coming out of the protests in Iran. It's so universal what they're fighting for. Um, so I'm glad we're getting this chance to talk about what's happening there. Iran, a nation of over 80 million people. Islam has been the official religion of Iran since the 7th century. 90% Shia, 10% Sunni. Religion is said to be on the decline. I'm guessing a lot of that is sort of under the radar. Miriam, there are these amazing photographs from Iran before the Islamic Revolution of 1979 and after. Can you tell me about these two Irans and what the hell happened? Mm. Well, I mean, um, yeah, definitely when you look at photographs of Iran before the Islamic regime took power, it's a very different image, isn't it? There's no compulsory veiling. Um, there's um, a lot more freedom um, compared to today. But we mustn't forget that even during the Shah's time, it was a dictatorship, which is why there was a revolution uh, that took place in 1979. It wasn't an Islamic revolution, but it was expropriated by the Islamic movement. So what ended up being a revolution against dictatorship for freedom uh, became, um, you know, effectively it turned into an Islamic state. And actually a lot of people were killed in order for the Islamic regime to take power and create an Islamic state in Iran. So now we look to today, which is 44 years past that date, and we're seeing this magnificent protest movement in Iran. I'm calling it a woman's revolution. Even if people don't call it a woman's revolution, it is definitely a revolution that is led by women and girls. And the main slogan of this revolution is woman, life, freedom. And there's, you know, it's such a secular, such a modern, such a human uh, revolution and movement. And also really, you can see uh, a really deep anti-clericalism and even anti-religious sentiments. And I think some of the things we've talked about you know, you and I have talked about over the years um, and the fact that there is this tsunami of atheism in Iran, but in other countries, too, where Islam is in power. I think we're seeing that uh, in reality playing out in the protests um, that has been going on since September 16th, the latest round of protests since a young 22 year old woman called Mahsa Jina Amini. She's a Kurdish woman. Um, she was killed by the Islamic regime's morality police because a few strands of her hair were showing through her hijab. As you know, hijab is compulsory in Iran. She was murdered as a result. And since then, since her death 
on September 16th, there have been daily protests in Iran. Um, it's been ongoing and the Iranian regime is facing the greatest challenge it has since it was established uh, over 40 years ago. Violence escalating on the streets of Iran as protests enter their third month. Police crackdowns becoming more brutal. Videos posted on social media show a crowd inside a packed subway station fleeing security forces as they open fire with metal pellets. People panicked, rushing for the exits as officers keep shooting. In another video, police are seen storming one of the trains, beating protesters who tried to escape through the subway. Protesters are gaining momentum as they mark the anniversary of the deadly 2019 protests in Iran, where more than 1,500 people were killed. The protests, led by women, erupted in September after the death of Mansa Amini, a 22-year-old woman who was detained by the morality police for allegedly breaking the country's strict hijab rules. Miriam, is it true that the regime is saying, well, she just had a heart attack? Like, we didn't kill her. Uh, you know, yeah, we beat the shit out of her and threw her in a van and took her away, but she sort of died on her own. Was it, is it an act of God argument that they're making or what? Well, I mean, uh, the the truth of the matter is her family has come out and said that uh, Massa was a very healthy young woman. She didn't have any health problems. But also you've got uh, medical evidence that shows that the regime isn't telling the truth. Uh, the doctors at Castro Hospital in Tehran, where she was taken, uh, when she arrived in the hospital, she went in a healthy woman. A few days later, she arrived at Castro Hospital in Tehran. She was brain dead. And there are images of her skull showing that it was fractured. And it's, you know, Maso's case is one of many, because if you look now at the over 500 protesters that have been killed just since September 16th, um, and they've arrested 18,000 protesters since that date as well, uh, um, and already two of the young protesters have been executed and there are many more at risk of execution. A lot of the protesters who were killed have that same skull fracture because they are aiming for the head in the same way that they're aiming at people's eyes, at people's genitals. That's just, you know, uh, one of the things that they have been doing um, during this time and in the past as well. So it's clearly you know, that it's clear that she was murdered by the regime. And a lot of the other young people who are being killed, the regime, for example, said they threw themselves off the buildings. Um, but there's documented evidence on how they were arrested uh, by the security forces and their bodies ended up in that location. Um, and a lot of the things like suicide, for example, uh, the bodies then when they're examined, you see that they've got all these sort of fractures that are exactly showing that they were beaten to death or beaten to such a situation as Massa was that she collapsed while she was in there um, being detained by them. And she had actually been taken there for re-education because that's one of the things they do to women and they've been doing it to millions of women every year. You mentioned the word morality police. I mean, is there's a morality police, yeah. a, literally a morality police? Yeah, that's what they're called. They're called the guidance pa uh, count, uh, patrols or morality uh, patrols. And what they do is they go in the streets and they arrest uh, women whose compulsory veiling is not on properly, women who might have nail polish on, who might have their 
um, um, uh, makeup on um, and also to ensure that men and women are kept segregated from each other. They'll ask for your marriage certificate if you're walking with a man. Um, and also they arrest men who might have too long hair or aren't or wearing too Western clothes, that sort of thing. So, But of course their focus, as all religious um, fundamentalists are, their focus is on women and controlling and policing women. Uh, so there's actually a commission for the uh, promotion of virtue and the prevention of vice. I mean, it is handbook Gilead from The Handmaid's Tale. And these are people who actually go out in the streets and arrest people and arrest them very violently. I don't know if you or, uh, or any of your viewers have seen and listeners have seen how women are arrested. I mean, it's really brutally, with a lot of brute force, with a lot of violence. Women are dragged by their hair, uh, they're beaten, they're pushed into vans uh, where they're taken away. And it's just a sight to, it, it's, it's an unbelievable sight to see that this is happening in the 21st century um, in a world where so many rights have been gained by women in uh, quite a few parts of the world. You mentioned the executions too. Uh, public executions anyway, many more have been killed, but two public executions, I believe, by hanging. Um, the idea then, the regime wants to instill fear in the public. Uh, this mm -hmm. is what will happen to you if you continue to rise up against us, which means rising up against God. Um, do you feel like the fear tactics are working or perhaps they've galvanized the revolution even more? Do you have a temperature on that, Miriam? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's it. The reality is, look, th there are a lot of people at risk of execution. The Iranian regime has done mass executions in the past. For example, in the summer of 1988, where 5,000 political prisoners were executed, and uh, in fact, uh, ex-Muslim organizations established apostasy day during uh, in August because it was that summer when many atheists were actually killed and. Uh, if you look at that history of that period, uh, it's uh, you had people being called in uh, to a sham trial, asked, for example, do you believe in God? If they said no, that was at the end of it. They were sent out to execution. If they were, they were asked, do you pray? If they said no, they were sent out to execution. Um, and so, you know, it is possible that they could massacre political prisoners. They've done it in the past. In 2019, there were protests um, also that took place in Iran, as there have been over the years. In three days, they killed 1,500 protesters. Um, and again, they are uh, threatening the sort of mass execution. The Islamic Assembly, out of 290 members, 227 called on the Islamic judiciary to execute all the protesters. And there's 18,000 people who've been imprisoned. Um, Yes, it is to instill fear, and they have been able to do that over the years, but I do think it's different this time because despite the executions, there's still protests going on. And I want to tell you about one of the men that was executed. His name is Majid Reza Rahnavard. And there's a video of him 
before he's being executed. He's blindfolded and the executioners wearing the black masks are standing around him. And he's being in- interviewed uh, by most probably the Islamic regime state media uh, in order to show why they have a right to execute him. And they ask him, what's in your final will? And he says, in my final will, I've asked. And he's saying this on his way to execution with a blindfold on. In my final will, I've asked that people don't cry over my grave, that they don't read the Quran, they don't recite the Quran, that they don't pray, and that instead they play joyful music and they celebrate. کجا خاکم کنن؟ دوست ندارم گریه کنن سر مزار از دوست نداری قرآن بخونن؟ دوست نداری برات نماز بخونن؟ دیگه؟ نماز نخونن درست شادی کنن آهنگ شاد پخش Now, you know, this is the sort of anti-clericalism the anti-Islamic backlash that we've been talking about for many years the fact that on his way to his execution he's clearly saying don't do this don't recite the Quran and in fact even at Mahsa Amini's grave, a clergyman tried to come and some of the worshippers said, get out of here, you have no right to be here. So, you know, this is um, a Generation Z that is fearless, really, inspiring, courageous, and has no illusions to any aspect of this regime. They don't want reform. They want an end to Islamic rule. They want a normal life. And, you know, it's that. that's why I think this is such a This, this, that's why it's moved so many people across the globe, because in a way, I think you can see yourself in them and you can see your hopes and aspirations in these young people. And it gives you hope because, you know, for over 40 years, we've had the religious right make our lives a living hell. I'm not talking just about the Islamic right the Christian right in the United States, in many parts of Europe, the Buddhist right in Myanmar, in Sri Lanka, the Hindu right in India, the Jewish right. Uh, You know, they have made lives hell for a vast majority of people, and especially for women, sexual minorities, you know, religious minorities. So to see this sort of uncompromising, courageous, inspiring, modern, human, sort of woman-centered fight back um, is, is just something, you know, awe-inspiring, I think. And the other thing that's interesting, and I'm sure you know of this, and I hope some of your listeners would have seen this, it's called the flying turban phenomenon. I don't know if you've seen this, but young people running up behind clergymen in Iran, and clergymen in Iran are like God. They run the country, they make the rules, they are the judges, the executioners, and the state. They run behind them and throw their turbans off. It's called the flying turban phenomenon. Machines, bah bah, zan zindagi azadi, mag bar diktator. And again, this uh, this anti-clericalism, this backlash, and this resistance has it's it's taking various forms, including turban flying. You know, so it, it's funny because now you see clergy wearing hijabs because they're trying to tie their turbans down so that they, it isn't thrown off their heads while they're walking down the street before they were gods. And now they are afraid of young people. There are those who deem themselves and their dogmas sacred. And one of the great weapons against that is ridicule. 
you know, we knock them off their high perch and say, no, no, you know, we don't have to abide by your rules. Talking about young people, this new generation, I saw a stunning video of a group of young people shouting death to the dictator. Yeah, I mean, the, the slogans are really, uh, you know, secular, human, modern, progressive. Uh, so death to the dictator, but also we don't want an Islamic regime. We don't want an anti-woman regime. Uh, there's a great slogan, which is women shouting, we are not, you're the harlot. We are the free women. Because women are often called harlots and, um, you know, wenches and whores. And uh, the, the slogan is that, it's 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 not being a harlot it's being a free woman you know we are free women and um of course the ages too you see really young school girls going out in the streets removing their hijab and uh, there there was there's there's so many videos to this where you see for example um young school girls kicking out the uh, an official from the Ministry of Education that's come to speak there. You know, he has to run out the school. The school girls just run him out of the school. Um, you know, and of course, the risks are great. And, you know, just to give you an example of how risky this is, um, apart from the the, politi- the 18,000 that they've arrested, the 5,000, sorry, the 500 that they killed on the streets, the 18,000 that they've arrested, there are many people who are being disappeared or who are uh, being taken to unofficial detention centers. So there's one, uh, and uh, in these unofficial detention centers, there's a lot of reports of rape of the young girls and women. Uh, So one young woman, well, a girl of 14 years, they recognized her via CCTV from the school as one of the girls who removed her hijab. Her name is Masume. She comes from a, the poor area, southern Tehran. And um, she arrived in hospital with, you know, just uh, tears, uh, vaginal tears, and just um, in a very, very poor situation, she she died. And her mother said that she was going to speak out publicly against what happened to her daughter. And now her mother's disappeared. So this has real implications for a lot of people. A lot of people are turning up dead or have been tortured and killed. They're not even in these statistics uh, because they're not necessarily shot on the streets. Um, But again, so, so I think people understand the ex- extent of risk that they're taking. But I guess one of the things that people are saying is that how many more years do we have to ask, don't execute us, don't kill us? Uh, you know, the minute the protests stop, the regime is going to carry on killing. And so at least this is a chance that maybe these young people can bring about change in Iran and and, a, and bring about a free Iran. And I think that's where we're heading, hopefully. I think some you know, people thought uh, this would be two weeks and it would wane. Three weeks, four weeks, it would wane. And yet it continues. How do, uh, how do you explain that? I mean, I think, look, this is definitely, you know, in Iran, there have been lots of protests over many decades against the regime. Uh, this, of course, is the the most clear-cut protest in the sense it has no illusions to any aspect 
of the regime. It doesn't believe that reform is possible. That's it. It wants an end to the Islamic regime of Iran. And I think what happens is that when people are killed, uh, protesters show up at their at their uh, memorials, at their funerals. Then in Iran, you have uh, uh, sort of memorials seven days after someone's been killed, then 40 days after they've been killed. And then there's more people killed and there's more seven days and more 40 days. And these have become a, a way of galvanizing around the issue. And then, of course, now people are being executed. So it's galvanizing around the executions. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it's just it's got a life of its own really now. And it is I, I do think that this is the end of the Islamic regime. I can't tell you when it's going to happen. But I think an Islamic regime that cannot enforce veiling on women, because now if you look at pictures and video clips of Iran, there are many women who are going about their daily lives without the hijab. They're sitting in metros without their hijab. They're going to shopping without the hijab. They're sitting in restaurants without the hijab. They're walking in the streets without the hijab. Don't forget, compulsory hijab is a law. You can be arrested find imprisoned because of it and so here you are people going about their lives without it and so you know it, it, and it is the most visible form of the regime's control if it loses control and that's why the hijab is so key in this fight the fact that this regime came to power by enforcing compulsory veiling that was its first act it did and now you've got women burning their hijabs removing their hijabs and schoolgirls doing it um, you know, so it is the beginning of the end for them. When is not clear, but I, I do think this is the end for them. More with Miriam Namazi in just a moment. I want to talk about Iran's participation in the World Cup. What's that about and what's Miriam's take? That and more coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. 
continuing my discussion with human rights activist Miriam Namazi as we talk about the uprising in Iran, which has been going on for several months now. Miriam, I was driving in my home city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, of all places. This was a few nights ago. And I looked up and I actually saw a digital billboard that had Masa Amini's hashtag. And um, it was drawing attention to her plight, you know, and it had the words freedom and women and all those things. The messaging was there. And I was with a few friends and I said, whoa, wow, look at that. You know, it, to see that here in red state, Oklahoma is amazing. And they looked at me, all of them, and said, who's Masa Amini? And I wow. thought to myself, this is a symptom of the larger problem. Do you feel like the mm -hmm. West has a blind spot? You know, in some ways, are we even complicit because we're busy talking mm -hmm. about other things? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, do th I do think that a lot more people know about Masa Amini than any other person killed by the Iranian regime or in general, in, in that region, so many people are killed. But so so I think the Mass Amini hashtag is the uh, highest trending hashtag in the history of Twitter. Um, and it's been trending for, you know, not just for one day or two days. It has trended over longer periods of time. And you, you also do see lots of... Uh, people getting involved and commenting on uh, Mass Amini and what's happening in Iran. So even celebrities, people, you know, even the Kardashians, even Starbucks, you know, the Starbucks icon cutting, uh, she's cutting her hair. Uh, of course, this doesn't mean that they're wonderfully progressive now. It just means that there is so much attention and pressure that even those who are apolitical couldn't give a you know, a damn about politics and people's human rights are now um, listening and, and, and paying attention. But of course, a lot more needs to be done. The fact that, you know, you um, know people who don't know who she is. Um, again, it's, it, it is symptomatic of the fact that a lot of what happens over there is not important you know, and it is the sort of double standards in the worth of human life, um, you know, a human life of an American, for example, is worth more than the human life and rights of an Iranian. And I think a lot of that goes back to also this sort of um, the cultural relativism that we've been seeing a lot of, the identity politics that we've been seeing a lot of, where you know, it's their culture, it's their religion, it's not our problem. That's what they do. They kill each other, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that's why the the revolution, the women's revolution in Iran is so important because, one, it shows that actually we're all the, the same. We all have very similar hopes and aspirations. Young people in Iran want very much the same things as young people in the United States do. Um, and because of social media, um, they have footprints. This generation has footprints. We can see what they wanted, what they believed on their Instagram and TikTok pages in a way that we might never have seen before. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential there to break those sort of barriers that exist. And of course, there's also that thing which you know very well, which is this idea that Islam shouldn't be criticized. It's Islamophobic to do so. 
And that has permeated, you know, in this, uh, you know, they are, after all, criticizing an Islamic state. There is a level of anti-clericalism that might make people feel uncomfortable. But I think it actually helps then to bring things back to where they need to be, which is we should be able to criticize religion and the religious right, challenge it unequivocally whilst defending people. So December 14th, 2022, the United Nations removed Iran from the Commission on the Status of Women. How did Iran even get on the Commission on the Status of Women? Did you watch that play out? I mean, exactly. How is Iran on the Commission? How was it on the Commission on the Status of Women? I mean, the example I always give is, you know, as if you're going to have the racial apartheid regime of South Africa on the Commission on Racial Equality. I mean, it's so absurd. But again, it goes to show that really governments can do whatever they want to uh, their populations, including, especially if it's over there. And business goes on as usual. A lot of uh, European, Western states have relations with the Iranian regime. They might be critical of its nuclear policy. But, you know, on the issue of human rights, it is very much business as usual. They might make condemnations. Um, but again, what this shows is that this woman's revolution in Iran has had such a deep-seated impact that it has forced governments that previously voted for, they voted for, shall I repeat that, they voted for the Islamic regime to be on that commission, that now a majority of them have voted to kick it out in an unprecedented move. And it goes to show that when there is this powerful movement on the ground, it can shake the entire world. It can change the world, as we've seen in history. And I think this is one of those historical women's revolutions that is one of its, the first of its kind that is going to really bring fundamental changes um, and challenge not just Islamic fundamentalism, but all religious fundamentalisms in a way that we are all, you know, have been dreaming of and, and fighting for for so many years. I think we're seeing it unfold now before our very eyes. And it's 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 heartbreaking to see all the tragic human tragedies that are unfolding. But also, my gosh, that courage is inspiring and it makes you feel more courageous and also makes you hopeful that things maybe they are going to change and change very quickly. Speaking here with Iranian-born, I wanted to put that at the beginning of the show. You are, you do hail from Iran, is that right? Yes. What part? Uh, well, my family's from Shiraz, but I was born and uh, raised in um, Tehran. Miriam, uh, you have any thoughts on the World Cup? I know I saw <laughs> the players uh, who uh, kind of muted their own I don't know, jingoistic patriotism that you would expect from them. And instead, they kind of mumbled the national anthem. And many in the stands from Iran were showing solidarity. They're waving flags that said women, life, freedom on them. You have any thoughts on the World Cup? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I thought uh, that Iran should have been banned uh, from the World Cup because I think that, you know, you cannot go about with sports as usual 
when people are being slaughtered on the streets uh, and in prisons. Um, I also thought that Qatar should not be a place where the World Cup is held, given its own record of violence against women, violations against women's rights, against gay rights. I mean, Qatar does have Sharia law there and also its treatment of migrant workers and so on and so forth. And, you know, so I think that for me, I thought, you know, you don't want to ruin football for its fans. Sports can be such a great way of unifying people. But because it's such a great way of unifying people, it also needs to be a great way of, you know, raising the standards of human rights uh, and uh, making it conditional human rights, basic human rights, respect for human rights uh, as a condition to being able to have the World Cup and also to play in the World Cup. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, Iranians love, I mean, Iranians love football as many people in the world do, or soccer, as you call it in the US. But lots of people were celebrating the loss of Iran because they felt that, you know, Iran should not have been at the World Cup. In Iran, they were celebrating the World Cup. And in fact, a young man was shot dead when he was out in the streets celebrating um, the loss of the World Cup by the Iran, by Iran security forces. Is the word still getting out, even though they're trying to shut down the Internet? I mean, is, are there satellite feeds? I, I saw a terrifying uh, piece of video that someone had shot from a cell phone of, I guess, the morality police going door to door in the middle of the night. This is stuff that Iran doesn't want the world to see, so they're shutting down internet access, but is there still a resource to get this stuff out to inform the world? Yeah, I mean, I think the internet uh, goes on and off. So a lot of us that have family in Iran still, uh, it's, it is difficult to remain in touch in the way that we were before, but there is ways of bypassing filters and uh, using various technology which i couldn't explain to you if my life depended <laughs> on it yeah but i'm hoping you know uh, just basically that there are ways for people to bypass those and also you know we are living in the age of social media so uh, what happens um, everyone is a citizen journalist everyone is passing footage real life footage uh, immediately getting the word out and the regime isn't able to control all of that information, um, you know, and so a lot of it is getting out. And what you see is horror, you know, the horror and the violence and the brutality of the regime's forces. Just, you know, they come out in herds, the, the gangs of Islamist herds, the security forces, the Basiji, the revolutionary guards, the morality police. They come out on their motorbikes and their cars. They shoot randomly, indiscriminately. They um, abduct people. There's so much footage of them abducting young girls, especially, uh, and women. There's so many reports of rape. There are threats of execution, and executions have been taking place. Even before this, you know, Iran is one of the execution capitals of the world. Uh, and it's one of the only countries that executes minors still. I think the U.S. is one of those countries as well, which is outrageous to, to think that the U.S. would be on par with Iran when it comes to the death penalty. I think that's um, something that um, we should oppose in all instances, no matter 
what the crime. Obviously, in Iran, no crime has taken place because people are just protesting for freedom. But it is a crime, according to the government in Iran. And in Iran, 130 offenses are punishable by execution. So a lot of the protesters are being uh, given execution sentences because of the charge of enmity against God. I mean, you couldn't make it up. And how subjectively applied could that be? I mean, anybody can, you know, arbitrarily decide that you are a blasphemer and, uh, you know, it's over. But, you know, the flip side of that coin is that we also get to see the images, the video. We get to to see and hear the uprising, the defiant, those crying for freedom, you know, those throwing off the hijab and the niqabs who are standing against their oppressors, which is, I mean, I, I get goosebumps watching yes. this type of yeah. thing and it, i i've seen it inspire people all over the world including myself yeah i mean exactly so i wanted to say that's one aspect of it uh, and then in the face of that brutality you're seeing people with nothing but you know their hijabs in their hands their fists raised their voices um standing face to face with you know, weapons of war because the regime is using weapons of war against a civilian population. And it's no wonder that it has so inspired people that, you know, I think courage is, um, what's the word when it's um, catching, courage is catching. It's sort of, uh, you see courage, it makes you more courageous. You see bravery. And if you see fear, you become more fearful as well. And so in a sense, you've got this religious right movement, the Islamists in particular, who've ruled not just countries in Iran and Middle East and all by fear, but also here in the West, you know, through their acts of terrorism, through their threats and intimidation, they have made people very afraid of them. So how can you still be afraid of them when you see a schoolgirl facing this monster with her hijab in her hand or showing the middle finger to a portrait of Khamenei, uh, who's the supreme spiritual leader. I mean, that's his title. That's how absurd theocracy in the 21st century is. And it helps us understand, I think, fundamentally that one, we're all the same, but two, cultural relativism and identity politics is pure bullshit, if you can excuse my language, because what it shows is that actually, you know, what people want is universal, our hopes are universal, and all of this sort of tiptoeing around criticism of Islam and Islamism has been at the expense of people's rights and lives, and they're not taking it anymore. And I think, you know, that in and of itself is hugely hopeful. Which brings me, I think, to my final question. What what can we do? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I can hashtag it. Right? I mean, I'm a slacktivist. Resp- I mean, I, I know raising awareness does have its value. But beyond that, how can we help? How can yeah. we contribute? Yeah, it's interesting. Today I was talking to um, this woman who's a, um, um actress and a um, theater producer and she was saying that for the first time in her life she felt that she could make a difference because she watched she's watching those young women and girls 
and feels like if they can do it, I can do anything basically because I live in a freer society where my voice will have more of a reach and I'm less at risk to do so. And I think that there's so many ways in which people can support the women's revolution in Iran. Look, one of the first things is, of course, the hashtag. Keeping that hashtag alive is important because then more people will know who Mahsa Amini is and what's going on in Iran. The other example is putting pressure on our own governments, the governments where we live. So you in the United States, for example, I live here in Britain, so the, the British government. Look, if you look at this example that you just gave, where Iran was expelled from the Commission on the Status of Women, the first time a state has ever been expelled from the Commission on the Status of Women was because people like you and I put pressure on our own, the states where we live, saying, you have to vote to expel the regime. And when they felt enough pressure, they had enough courage to um, expel the regime, especially if you think about who voted the regime in. Four democratic countries voted the regime in. We don't know who they are, but based on numbers, we can see that four countries, either from uh, North America or Europe, voted for the Iranian regime to be in the UN Commission on the Status of Women. And this time, none of them voted for it. So that pressure makes a difference. The other thing we're asking is, look, there has to come a time where it's not enough to just condemn. You have to shut down the Iranian embassies. You have to break diplomatic ties. You have to expel the ambassadors. These are all the things that happened during the anti-apartheid movement where it reached a point where Western governments that were collaborating and cooperating with the racial apartheid regime of South Africa decided they can't do it anymore because it was too embarrassing for them. There was too much public pressure and demanding that they stop. And that became the beginning of the end of the apartheid regime. You know, Nelson Mandela was called a terrorist by the British government, uh, by Margaret Thatcher. And then he was welcomed here as a hero because of that pressure. And so, you know, writing to your papers, writing to your MPs, to your congressmen, to your senators, um, joining rallies. It, it's really great to see uh, non-Iranians join the rallies because it just shows that it is a universal issue. Um, getting the word out. All of There's so many different ways in which people can show their support and solidarity. And I think any little thing helps and it all adds to this groundswell of, you know, uh, support and solidarity for people and against the regime. And that's what we need for it to reach such a stage where the regime cannot survive any longer. As we enter the new year, hopefully a, a new and better chapter for Iran as we watch history unfolding before our eyes. Thank you for educating me and this audience, giving us a greater depth of perspective. We'll continue to Watch and listen and spread the word and hopefully contact everybody around us and encourage them to do the same. Miriam Namazi, you are amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Seth. You are amazing. And thank you for getting this out there and also for all the work you do over the years. And thank you to your listeners and viewers for, for um, taking the time to listen to this and hopefully 
it will spur them into action. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring the Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.